0: Welcome. Welcome to the session. This is the successful and emerging technology session. Uh, it's covering m and blockchain or Bitcoin. Um, my name is Louis Rousseau. Uh, I'll be chairing the session. Uh, presenting today, we have two teams, or uh, t- uh, t- a team of three from Swiss Re, uh, Alna Low, Bode Olajumoke. Is that OK? Um, and Cecile Augustine. Um, Quite, quite a varied background culturally and, and, and experience wise, um, all from Swiss Re. Uh, after that will be David Kirk um, from Maliman. He is uh, 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 presenting to you on Bitcoin. The presentation now will cover MPESA in East Africa as well as insurance related matters. So without further ado, I'll give, give you um, uh, the MPESA team. Thanks. Oh, sorry questions at the end of of both sessions. Thanks.
1: Technology has undeniably changed our lives. Some will argue it's for the better and others may argue it's for the worst. Well, I believe it can be both, but it's up to us to ensure the former. Good day, everyone. We are Alna Cecilia Verde, as you heard, from Swiss Re and we'll be talking about mobile money, a technology that I truly believe has impacted others' lives for the better. So I'm really excited to share with you what we have t- um what we'll be presenting today. So just on the agenda, we'll have a short introduction video, just a short cartoon that we prepared to lighten the mode and show you the social benefits of mobile money. Then I'll cover a bit more on mobile money and the technology. And Cecilia will take us through some case studies on mobile money. And Bode will finish off on, a section, on his section on microinsurance. So without further ado... So I hope you guys enjoyed that. It's just a bit too light in the mode. And as you can see, Tony is a very happy guy because mobile money came to his country. And I believe it really impacted his life in a very positive way. And I specifically at the end, that you see there that Tony is so amazed that he actually can do all these things and he doesn't even have a bank account. And I put that there deliberately because when speaking to many people, many people like myself initially think that mobile money and mobile banking is one and the same. And it's actually not. It's two separate businesses. It's two separate platforms and mobile money was actually designed for the unbanked population where people either couldn't afford a traditional bank account because the fees were so high relative to their income or they were excluded because of KYC or better known as know your client guidelines. And the main reason for this is it's quite difficult for someone living in the rural areas to get a proof of residence. So mobile money was designed for a person, it was initially designed for person-to-person transfers or peer-to-peer transfers, because when people started moving to the urban areas, many of the relatives stayed behind in the rural areas and it was just an easy means of sending money back home. And well, today, it actually developed quite significantly since then, up until the point where you can actually use your mobile money account to buy a time you can take out insurance and as you saw that you can even take out a loan because there's a track record of your purchases and you can transfer money from your mobile money or e-wallet account to your bank account but I think the important thing to notice that with mobile money you don't necessarily need to have a bank account we obviously with mobile banking it's just a means of accessing your bank account via your mobile phone so I hope that clears the confusion so I just wanted to uh, present this nice growth story and this is so I'm very excited to to show you guys this it just shows you that even though mobile money started in 2001 the biggest growth story is really in sub saharan Africa and it's better it's basically it's the mother of mobile money for us and as you can see there, sub-saharan Africa has grown significantly over the past few years and some of the main reasons really is because of these factors and the biggest bubble there is enabling regulation so Cecilia when she speaks through her case studies she'll definitely show you why enabling regulation is so important to make mobile money successful and then you have all the other bubbles like having a trusted brand, technology, client service, meeting your client needs, and having a strong mobile agent network. So I'm sure she'll also point out to some of these when she's also discussing her case studies. So with that, I'll introduce to you Cecilia Augustine. Thanks, Elna, for
2: the lovely introduction. So, I'm going to take you through three case studies. Um, Initially, we were going to consider only South Africa, I mean, only Kenya, which has been the most successful story, and Nigeria, which is not very successful. But we thought it is fitting to include South Africa as a description of the experience of mobile money, just to give context. So, I'll start with South Africa. Despite a few attempts by some of the major network operators to launch mobile money, it has not really worked well in South Africa. Actually, in 2016, we saw the major mobile network operators leave the market. Um, They have cited uh, inability to achieve critical mass, therefore not having enough revenue to cover the operating costs as one of the reasons. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that, uh, as Elna mentioned, enabling regulation is quite important for a supportive mobile network uh, system to work. So in South Africa, any deposit-taking institution needs a banking license. However, with mobile money, you need the mobile network operator to be able to exchange money, take money from the people, and distribute money equally. So a network a telecom cannot really get a mobile cannot really get a banking license so they have to partner with a bank and because then these two completely different institutions have to work together sometimes it doesn't work in their favor and sometimes the interests may not be aligned so unfortunately from the bank, from the regulation perspective it has not worked and then again because south africa is such a well established banking system with various alternatives of exchanging money from one person to another, from one person to a business, and vice versa. The peer-to-peer transactions needs have been met by all the different channels. So you've got internet banking, and I'm sure everyone in in the room uses all these um, alternatives to send money. Uh, Internet banking, mobile banking, cell phone banking, using our cards when we travel or within the country, and then again, seventy percent of the population has access to this mobile, um, to this, inter, um, to these services. So the need for mobile money was not that pronounced the way it is set up um, elsewhere in the in the continent. Moving on to Nigeria. Now this one is quite an interesting one for me because Nigeria has got the largest population on the continent three times the population of South Africa. They've got high levels of telecom communication, penetration, so you would assume that with that, coupled with the large unbanked population, I believe more than 65% are unbanked. You'd think that this would be a ripe market to have mobile money work and flourish and reach people who are not financially included. But as of a survey in 2014, only 800,000 People were registered for mobile money. This is less than 1% of the whole population. So one asks, what's the reason for this? There are quite a few reasons that I could think of, and based on what the information was out there in the market, on the on the internet, and available talking to people. Um, one of the main reasons that came up quite a number of times was the regulation. It was not an enabling regulation. So what what the Central Bank of Nigeria did, they only issued licenses to banks to run mobile money. They excluded the mobile network operators. And these are the agents who have access to masses. They have access to retail people everywhere in the country. And they have a trusted brand, they have access to people everywhere in the country, but they are not allowed to have licenses to conduct mobile money services. in addition to that, the licensing process was very cumbersome. it took forever. and after the, the, they get the, uh, the first licenses were issued, they issued about 16 licenses, which is quite a lot. and out of these 16 licenses, everyone of uh, of these banks or institutions that were given licenses now had to go and look for investment from the same kind of environment. And a lot of investors were reluctant to get involved. Um, They just said, you seem to all be selling the same thing. How is this going to work? And then the banks that now have the licenses are used to having a model where customers come to them, So the banks expect you to go to the bank, or to go to the ATM, or to go to the Internet. So so they're not in a a system where, like Coca-Cola, they're used to reaching people out there in the market. They go and look for where the people live, where the people are, and reach them and provide them with the needs. So the banks don't understand how to conduct the retail business properly. And in addition to that, in Nigeria, The banks don't, very few banks, actually I think one, only focuses on the retail customer. The rest of the banks don't feel that this is a market where they can make a lot of money. So because of that, in Nigeria it has not been adopted very well, and it hasn't really flourished. Um, I believe with the current reforms that the Central Bank of Nigeria is is trying to do, over time maybe there'll be some more traction, because it's a system that can really increase the level of financial inclusion. So moving on to Kenya, where the real success story is, Kenya has a population of about 45 million, and of that, 26, more than 26 million have access to or are registered mobile bank users. And that's just over... Fi- 50% of the of the market. So that's already a very good statistic to to know. You have to understand that before this, approximately 70% of the population of the population did not have access to banking. The banking um, the banking industry was very targeted at middle to high income individuals. As a matter of fact, the time that M-Pesa M-Pesa is the is the, is the brand name in Kenya, so M for mobile, PESA is swahili for money. At the time M-PESA was launched in 2007, banks were actually closing down their branches in the rural areas. They were citing reasons um, that it's too expensive to run the, the branches outside the urban areas, and at the same time it was very it was very difficult to open a bank account. As Anna mentioned, there, there are a lot of processes, a lot of red tape, and it, is, it was so bad such that in a village, um, there was, some of the literature says that you, could, you would know the exact number of people in that village. They were known by name. Oh, so-and-so has a bank account, so-and-so has a bank account. So the level of financial inclusiveness was, was very low. The thing that made Kenya really, really successful is that the regulator had each and every interest to make sure that this M-Pesa worked. M-Pesa was launched by uh, their their leading mobile network network operator in Kenya called Safaricom, which is partly owned by Vodafone, and most importantly, it was owned by the government as well. So the regulator had an interest in making sure that this process worked. So they removed all the red tape. They made sure that everything that this uh, M-Pesa needed was able to work. So because of that, they targeted a market of people who were previously financially included. They created a very clear marketing message. When they launched this, they said, um, you can use M-Pesa to send money home. And Safaricom, this mobile network operator, has a reputation of just presenting itself as a, as a company that cares for the masses, cares for the man on the street. The marketing messages they had, had scenarios where people could relate to. So, and because they had such a huge market share, it was so easy for them to increase the number of, they already had the network of agents, so it was just a matter of training them and in increasing the spread of the network and really M-PESA took traction, there has not been a repeated story so far in the other countries. And I think the other problem is that other countries just try to copy this method to to their countries without really understanding the dynamics behind um, M-PESA and behind the Kenyan market. So over time, it has become really successful it has become very innovative. Um, they've now, I think one of the most innovative uh, ones is what they call Mshwari, which is a savings account on your mobile money, and they track your transactions so that they're able to give you a credit score, and with that credit score, it automatically tells you how much money you can borrow on a short-term basis. So now people who could initially not borrow because they had no financial uh, proof of income, now can borrow money, which is quite a good thing to have. And also now, with that kind of history uh, of transactions, micro-insurers can also take a role. And uh, bodet will take you very into detail with, uh, through um, micro-insurance. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. In in sub-Saharan Africa especially, it's taken 40 years for traditional insurance to give access to 1 million lives of insurance in sub-Saharan Africa. But mobile technology did that in just one year. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what we're looking at. That is our future. Mobile insurance is a way to revolutionize our market and also to close the protection gap. But let's bring it even closer. There is a penetration gap in the market. Seventy percent of sub-Saharan Africans do have at least one mobile phone. I have two. And for the benefit of those sitting in front, none of them is an explosive device. OK. But on the other hand, you have one, um, on the other hand, you have two uh, percent of the population. Uh, only have access to insurance. So what's the gap there? Only 2% of of the population do have insurance simply because, A, they either don't care for insurance or they don't understand the products or they can't afford insurance or there isn't a value proposition being brought to them about insurance. Nobody has, has tied insurance to their daily lives. Nobody wants to know that they're going to die. Therefore, we must put money aside. You know, so that's sort of the, some of the influences that we've seen in the market. Now, what, what mobile operators and microinsurance organizations did was to come together and see if they can close that protection gap. We have micro insurance provides insurance to people less than, that earn less than $2 a day. Now, my, uh, mobile, insurance, I mean, mobile technology is available to most of those people, so why don't you tie a product to those people using this device that they already have, the phone technology. So that is exactly what they did. They, they banded together and they said, "Let's create products that would give access to, like, to people like Tony, who had no other way of getting through to the, uh, to the insurance market or getting a loan whatsoever. Let's tie that to his lifestyle. Let's not make his life difficult by making him go 600 mi- excuse me, by making him go 600 miles to get insurance. Let him do it here. Let him do it on the phone. So you're essentially tying the product to his lifestyle and making things convenient for him. And of course, you're providing simple, affordable products to, to them. You know, In South Africa, you have your uh, health insurance products or your, your medical schemes where you have a savings, a self-payment gap and threshold and all that stuff. A lot of people find that complicated. In sub-Saharan Africa, a lot of people find it, make, they want something completely easy. So that's exa- that's essentially where micro-insurance comes into play. Just give me a straight-up benefit that I can handle. And of course, cheaper premium collection process. You don't have to go all the way to a bank to pay your premiums or whatever. You can do it just on your application. You know, like Alna mentioned, there's a difference between uh, mobile banking and mobile, um, and, and mobile technology. So... Those who, don't afford a, who can't afford a bank account can use their phones to actually access uh, uh, perfect insurance. And of course, for those of you who are actuaries, I believe you're all actuaries here, yeah, um, in the room, this is fantastic information. I've been told so many times that there's no data in Africa, there's no data, but you know, the problem is it's not that there's no data, it's having access to the data. Well, with mobile technology and uh, and micro insurance, there is access to data that we ordinarily wouldn't have access to. And this gives you opportunity to develop products and develop uh, solutions that might actually be beneficial to the target market that you're looking at. And of course, with every type of technology, there's challenges. Cecilia has talked about the regulatory aspect, Uh, there's also fraud, I mean, unfortunately, it's something that we have to grapple with, especially in the health insurance space, and of course, failed products. Now, the failed products part, that comes in when maybe people misprice the product, maybe because they don't have enough data, or they uh, send the wrong product to the wrong market. You know, I talk about a couple of products that have failed simply because of anti selection issues. And so, those are certain nuances that need to be taken into consideration when developing this type of products. Um, Well, over the last 15 years or so, we've seen an increase in microinsurance activity across sub-Saharan Africa. In fact, 36 of those 52 countries have 200 mobile operators working. And as I speak, more and more companies are looking for uh, investments to actually go into the microinsurance market. So it's a fantastic opportunity. And of course, uh, premium growth is uh, fantastic. There's been 31% growth over the last five years or so. So that's fantastic, and it's, uh, it's ever-growing, but it's, uh, it's, it's just touching the surface. The biggest growth, obviously, is in the life, insurance, pensions, uh, accidental health, and, of course, agriculture. But again, it's only pushing the buttons. This is only 5.4% of the actual insured population. So it's growing, but it's still not really pushing the needle. So that's probably where additional level of technology is needed loss ratios that shows that there's some profitability in some of the products that we've uh, priced and that we've seen so far you know but also counter to that is the administrative expenses you know and that's mainly because the uh, mobile technology um, providers do require they do request they have a specific uh, payment mechanism that needs to take place and that could be quite expensive for some of the uh, mobile operators but uh, if you look in agriculture especially it's uh, significant simply because you don't have enough programs in place in agriculture so there's a bit of an economics of scale deficiency in that area Now, there are some typical product structures that we need to look at, uh, that we have looked at, and I feel that it's very important to consider. There's been so many product uh, types out there, but the ones that I've seen can be grouped into bundled products. And that's essentially giving you an example. You have a farmer, for instance, who decides that he's got crops that he needs to protect, but at the same time, he needs to protect his health, and he also needs to protect himself in case anything happens to him. All he wants is a one-stop shop to ensure that he gets all this product. So you can speak to an insurer who has all these different products. Whatever structure is behind the scene, that's not his issue. He just wants a simple product for himself. And of course, index products, this is specifically more for agriculture. And that's essentially where the price of a crop is based on the index of precipitation, et cetera. And the premium payments and the claim payments will be based on that particular index and as i said again basic products just simple easy believe me most people just want something that they can relate to they don't want to uh, go over the board and make it make it extremely difficult for themselves um i decided to look at a couple of examples of where micro insurance products have been successful using mobile technology one of them is the tigo family care insurance which is in ghana Essentially, this is like a free premium cover type insurance. Essentially, what you do is you go to top up your mobile phone, and when you do it with, say, $2, some, money is, uh, some, some points are given to you where you can use that points to buy insurance. So essentially, it's a freemium, free premium uh, program where you're actually just topping up and getting free access to cover. Now, the biggest uh, excitement about this is the fact that it wasn't just insurance. The value proposition that was created was that I will pay you if you have any, uh, if, you, if you need to go to the hospital, I will pay you. If you need to go to, uh, if you if you die, we will pay your beneficiary. If you have a uh, accident, we will pay for the car insurance. And that has been the success story. Most people have signed up to that. And because they buy into that whole concept, there's more activity. People will buy more insurance. And that is the ultimate goal: to get people to buy insurance. It's very difficult to get people to buy insurance just willy-nilly. I mean, if I tell you I wanted to sell you an index insurance, nobody's going to buy it because you need to understand it. But if you actually tie it to their lifestyle, say, you know, top up with your cell phone, top up on your cell phone, you will get access to a free insurance. I mean, that's fantastic. So those are some of the uh, techniques that have been used to, uh, to attract people. The other uh, option is the Kilimo... I hope I'm not butchering this off. For those of you who speak Swahili in the room, I'm sorry. It's kilomo It's Kilimo Salama. And it's uh, also it's, uh, based in Kenya, this one. This is the uh, specific index insurance. And the fascinating thing about this one is it actually is a collaboration between an agricultural foundation, a local insurer, and a local um, um, telephone company in, uh, in Kenya, Safaricom. And together, they came up with this product, whereby you protect it against extreme weather. So when the weather forecast, when, the, when you have extreme rainfall or drought, the trigger point will be a claim and the claim will be paid into your mpesa or into your f- phone technology so you don't really have to do much you just see that the index tells you this is what's happening and you get your payment so it's a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic uh, innovation in the market just to conclude, I just want to make sure that we've uh, given you a bit of a flavor of what uh, mobile money and mobile technology is and how it can be used to push the needle of protecting uh, people in sub-Saharan Africa and as well as South Africa in some of the rural areas as well. Uh, it's a significantly improved financial inclusion. We talk about people who now have access to loans and bank uh, activities as well as well it has bolstered innovation so now you can use mobile technology to actually develop products i mean i've seen a situation where a farmer i mean a dairy farmer would actually pay for insurance based on the uh production of milk so that is a that i mean that's a fascinating new technique it might sound crazy to some of us but it is something that people are actually looking at because it's related to their own lifestyles And, of course, it increases uh, penetration and gives us more access to data. Of course, the environment to thrive is very important. So that's that's some of the things we need to consider, not just the regulatory, but the cultural aspect as well. So I just want to leave you with some thoughts. uh, While you're sipping some wine right before dinner tonight, just think about these issues for a second. Um, One, what additional technologies are there in the market that we can use to continue to close the protection gap? For instance, can you use Pokemon points to actually get additional insurance? I don't know if anyone has thought about it, but if there's a lawyer in the room, I'd like to speak with you afterwards. But, um, so that's some of the uh, things that we have to look at. And secondly, micro insurance itself. What kind of solutions can we give to ensure that we move the needle a little bit and ensure that there's a demand for, for insurance? So that's basically it. I just want to have one last word and say, technology is the way of life. That's where we're heading, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I said earlier that one, uh, it took one year for, micro- for mobile technology to move the needle. Well, I could, I could stand here next year and tell you it's actually six months or six weeks. So it's very important to actually ensure that we keep track of these things and ensure that the next generation, who are gonna be our customers, will be well served by the products. So thank you very much for your time.